let me read my old journals. And I was like, oh, my old journals are um, horror stories. What the heck? And I hadn't read them in over 23 years. So I was just like, I having that much distance on that kind of trauma. Oh, my God. Like, I couldn't. I knew it was bad. And then I read all of my journals. And I'm like, oh, no, it was really bad. This was as bad as I remember it being, if not worse. Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. Yes, the dramatic music is back again. That means we've got quite the story to tell you. Just as you heard from my guest this week, Lindsay Williams, a story that uh, when looking back, she realized was an, an absolute nightmare, a story that she was drawn back into because a group of people decided to make a documentary. And that documentary was about IBLP, the Institute of Basic Life Principles. This was a church group, a religious organization that had lots and lots of members the most famous members being the duggar family from the 16 17 18 19 kids and counting world in tlc uh there was a documentary called shiny happy people that kind of took the world by storm uh i believe in in the middle of, of this past summer on amazon prime tons of people watched it tons of people saw just how indoctrinating just how crazy just how mind control like uh, iblp was and still is for many people uh, we talked to Lindsay this week somebody who was in the documentary shiny happy people somebody who shared her story in the documentary we went deeper into that story uh, the documentary is four parts so it takes four five hours um, to watch but her part Altogether, I would say 30 minutes, maybe. So to get to talk to Lindsay about her specific part this week was really, really powerful. We're going to talk about exactly what IBLP um, stood for, exactly what the organization did. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, ATI, the Institute, um, the Advanced Training Institute. Lots of synonyms, um, not synonyms, lots of acronyms, <laughs> maybe some synonyms here too, but lots of acronyms um, for things this week. And uh, I think that uh, I think that you're going to just learn a lot. It's a it's a powerful story. It's a sad story. Uh, you know, the this ATI, this homeschooling network, we're going to find didn't really teach these kids very much of anything. And what they did teach them were some some truly heartbreaking stories some truly heartbreaking teachings some some things that if you are teaching a kid these things you know it, it completely affects their life for the rest of their life and and not just um you know this conservative traditionalist look at uh you know the the place of men and women but just how to react when you're being abused both physically um, sexually and emotionally um, it, it, it was it, that that's a, a tough part of this conversation and that's something that I want to mention that uh, you know 
listener discretion advised because we are going to talk about um, some really tough topics. We're going to talk about some some physical abuse. We're going to talk about some sexual abuse. Um, we don't get too deep into that, but uh, uh, Lindsay does have her um, experiences with that. Um, we're going to learn about the person who created this entire organization, Bill Gothard, and uh, what he was thinking when he created this organization, um, why he decided to to go from you know running seminars with thousands upon thousands of people attending, um, over two million people have attended his IBLP basic seminar. Uh, what made him decide, hey, I also want to branch out into uh, homeschooling and the wisdom booklets that I create which is supposed to be people's entire homeschooling experience, don't really do much of anything but be a Bible study. They don't learn math and English and science. Um, they, they just learn how to, uh, to be subservient. So I, uh, I, I, it's just a crazy, crazy story, and Lindsay does such a good job of explaining it, so I'm not going to go into too much detail there. But she has her stories about uh, what happened while she was, quote-unquote, one of Gothard's girls. She was up at... Uh, at the main campus where uh, Bill Gothard did some some really unfortunate things that uh, that I, I I'm glad that Lindsay uh, decided to to share with us and and uh, just to see exactly what kind of organization this is um, and uh, it it's changed now but it really hasn't changed much Bill Gothard is gone uh, he's no longer in the organization but they're still following his teachings completely. ATI is now gone. Um, there is no more homeschooling, but they still have those wisdom booklets for sale. So lots of uh, maybe saving face and, and putting a new face on, on some some things that uh, are bad that really, you know, they got some bad press, so they, they changed things, but it's, it's still there. So uh, that's one of Lindsay's uh, missions is to get everything completely shut down. And, and uh, I think after listening to her, it's, it's easy to see why. Um, of course, this is Lindsay's experiences. I wanted to to hear those and share those with you. So everything that she says here, of course, is her experiences. Um, so uh, you know, I, I didn't want to interrupt her at all, nor would I. Would I? Um, but uh, yeah. So so just realize that it's all her experience. I'm sure there's people that had different experiences. Some people that's had worse experiences. We're going to talk to um, another person uh, that, that certainly had a different experience and, and some really, really unfortunate things too. Uh, that's in a few weeks. Um, and, and I'll get more to about that later. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've talked enough. This is a, such a powerful story. Um, if you've watched Shiny Happy People, um, I I, uh, I think that you'll learn a lot. If you haven't already, I think that we cover things well enough that you can listen to this first and then go watch that documentary. Go watch the craziness um, that uh, is IBLP, and you're going to look at uh, the Duggar family in a totally different way. I can, I can almost guarantee you that. So here is Lindsay Williams. I'm here today with Lindsay Williams. Mr. Williams, how are you? Hi, I'm so good. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me. We're going to talk a lot about you growing up in in an organization that a lot of people would call a, a cult, and we're going to dive into that. Um, but there was a documentary recently about it. That's kind of what brought everything up. Um, but before we kind of dive into to that, because there's a lot there, just introduce yourself. 
Well, my name is Lindsay Williams, and you guys can find me out on social media at The Cult Chronicles on Instagram and TikTok. And honestly, that's where I started kind of uh, dissecting and digesting how I was raised because I, for the last 23 years, I just sort of swept it under the rug and went about my life. <laughs> and I was like, I got married, I got out of this, and I just wanted to not be identified with my past. I wanted to just create a new life. And so I actually am a working makeup artist and a hairstylist. I was in New York for 10 years. I now live out in LA. And I do a lot of like really cool things. You know, I'm, I'm, I love my life. I get to travel. I get to work with celebrities. I've done magazine or makeup and hair for magazine covers, for beauty campaigns and advertisements. And it's just, it's a lot of work, but I I really, really love what I do. And I love that I'm able to be creative because that was one thing I didn't really have growing up. Creativity was a very, very different definition um, because it was always led by spirituality and the Bible and creativity was actually very limited mm. in your expressiveness. So I I love what I do now and I have become... <laughs> Um, by proxy of my upbringing, I've become an advocate against IBLP and ATI and specifically the cult leader, Bill Gothard. Um, I'm very uh, confident in calling it a cult. Um, it checks so many boxes. And um, I know it can make it uncomfortable for a lot of believers, but I think that that discomfort uh, begs the question that you look further into the issues to understand why there's discomfort there. But um, yeah, so now I'm an advocate, you know, to try to bring down IBLP and ATI because uh, ATI has been ended. And I know we'll discuss it in a minute what that is, but um, the organization, the Institute of Basic Life Principles is still functioning. Yeah. Yeah. And it does get a little bit tough when it comes to cult because I've talked to people from, you know, the source family commune from the seventies. The I've talked to people mm -hmm. who were in kind of micro cults. So yeah, I mean, I, it's pretty easy, you know, when you're looking at kind of the, uh, you know, the, the tenets of what a cult is to, to call these things cults, but I always just kind of let people to people decide that for themselves for sure. So I want to also, um, you know, you talked about how you're doing all this amazing things. That, that's awesome. But you kind of were, you kind of willfully brought back into what happened in your childhood because of this documentary, shiny, happy people. It, it was a huge documentary. I think a lot of people have seen it, but I want to just, before we get to, you know, the documentary, I want to just ask you about growing up, about your, your life and how maybe shiny and happy it, it wasn't. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, Growing up, we're going to get to exactly what IBLP is. Uh, we're going to get to Bill Gothard, uh, but talk a little bit about growing up first. Sure, sure. I um, I grew up first. First off, um, my birth father is not um in my life, so mm -hmm. I was very aware from a pretty young age that like I just felt like something was different between my relationship with my dad and my, the relationship I had with my mother, but didn't really understand it. Just had like a lot of resistance. And um, even at like four five and six, you know, just like, man, just like constantly bratty. And um, one day I discovered that he, he like through a conversation he was having with my mother, that he wasn't my real father. And I just, I was eight years old and my world just crumbled it was like movie level you know like what <laughs> and you just i remember running upstairs and slamming the door i was so angry and i'm like it all makes sense it all makes sense this is why i've been so resistant and da 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 um <clears throat> so that was like a first like awful dynamic as a kid you know that like you realize that you're you're kind of 
maybe wasn't wanted by one person and now you're with someone that you you just have resistance to. So it kind of created some conflict in my head. And then um, shortly into my childhood, my parents actually got involved um, with this whole religious program. And I was in public school at the time and ended up moving into homeschooling. And so from a pretty young age, my parents were like, take them out of school. Um, I know we always joke about this idea of like putting them in a barrel and plugging up the hole, you know, until they're like 21 years old and then you let them out into the world. Um, I literally felt that happening to myself. Like my, I think I even said it in the documentary where like my world became smaller and smaller and it just became a world of cannots and can't do yeah. instead of all the things that I can do. And when you're young, you that's what everybody wants is to learn and, and understand that you can thrive in the world and you can set your mind to something and you can succeed at it. And instead it was like, nope, here's what you're going to be. Here's the line you're going to toe. You're a female. So you're going to eventually get married. You're going to have more children. You're going to homeschool them. It was just like a cycle. And that felt so unfun to me. <laughs> I mm. wanted to live a, I was an, an excitable person. I I wanted to explore things and and see the world and um, try stuff. And all of a sudden it was like, nope, you can't do that. Um, and even in school, I I probably, I think from what I can barely vaguely remember, I wasn't a great student. <laughs> I think there were a couple of report cards where they're like, Lindsay's a social butterfly um, and we need her to focus. Mm-hmm. But I, I still remember really feeling like I had a thriving mentality at school. And so to come into this homeschooling program that was created again by this organization my parents had fallen into, it was so limited and very scripturally based, which was very narrow. And um, it wasn't a linear education program either. So you didn't have building blocks as you went through your education. It was just like, well, here's this really difficult thing to understand, but there's no foundation to you understanding it. So grasp onto that. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, it would be this other thing. And you're like, but, but I don't know any of this. Like me and history, don't ever ask me about history. It will, I will have to pick up my phone and Google everything yeah. because I don't yeah. have a good timeline of understanding of certain periods of, of history. Um, it's the same with science and and math. You know, we would be shown like a, a division problem and I'm eight years old. Like, I don't understand division. And then we're bumping over to, you know, other crazy math problems. And I, so there's a lot about my learning that felt really scattered simply because it was. And it's proof to me now that the people that were putting together these programs had a one-track mind of just indoctrinating you with religion. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about making you successful to the world. But at the time, you didn't know. And so, or I didn't know. (laughs) But through that learning, you know, my dad was in the military. So I also had like this double whammy of not only being isolated, but also having like a pretty uh controlling dad he was very militant himself and so everything was like very perfectionistic and you know yes sir no sir and it it was very rigid um doesn't make for a fun childhood you know Mm -hmm. and corporal punishment was involved as well so there was a lot of discipline um until i was in my teens which again i just the worst uh thing to to have happen to a person it's you it really is um a desperate attempt, I think, by parents to break children. <laughs> it really breaks you. And it it it, it pressures your men- mental focus too, where you're like, I don't know if I can hang on much longer. I don't know, like, I should just comply 
but I was never a good complying child. <laughs> I always had that little bit of, you know, like a rebellious little kick to my spirit. I'm like, no, this is wrong. Or I don't want to do that. I, I shouldn't be doing this. This is so against how I feel inside. Excuse wow. me. But yeah, so it was it was very tumultuous in that aspect as well, where I felt like I was going up against, you know, a rock and a hard place. You know, I really wanted to thrive and I was resistant to a lot of things because it didn't make sense. I'm also to this day someone who needs a lot of clarification of something that I don't understand. And there's a lot of insecurity when you're ignorant, when you don't understand something. But instead of being allowed to ask questions we were shut down. Well, you just need mm -hmm. to trust us. Or you don't need to be asking those questions. Just believe what we're telling you or believe what's in the, the wisdom booklet, the materials for our homeschooling program. Um, toe the line, be perfect. Yeah. You know, that's really, yeah. it's, it was it was a rough, and at the same time, we're moving to different, you know, Air Force bases and getting into different churches and meeting different people, but then not really being able to like really, really get deep with friends because my parents were always... Uh, hesitant about friends, you know, would they be a bad influence on me? Would I be able to stand up and be strong to say, I've given my life to the Lord, I can't watch this movie, you know, mm -hmm. um, those types of things where you're like, really standing up for your faith. Um, mm -hmm. So we were just very guarded and isolated. Yeah, yeah. And it's always interesting when I talk to people about homeschooling, and, and definitely when it comes to homeschooling in a, in a very, you know, strict religious way, and the, the takeaway, I think, to the average person is the, whoever set up this curriculum had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know how to set it up. They didn't know what they should be doing. But then you dive deeper and you realize they knew exactly what they were doing. They were setting it up exactly the way they wanted to set it up. I was like, just like with, with you guys, too, it was set up in a way that you weren't really supposed to know all that much because that way, if you tried to get out of you know the faith, it makes it really hard to be out in the real world when you don't know how to you know, do basic multiplication and you don't know, you know, basic history, it, it kind of locks you in and makes you feel like you got to stay in here because this is the only place that I belong. Everyone else knows so much different material. So that yeah. is what kind of was eye opening to me that it sounds like they don't know what, you know, don't know how to, to set up a curriculum, but they know how to set it up in a kind of a masterful way, really. It's manipulation. Yeah, it's it's a manipulation and control tactic. Because like you said, I, I many, many times in my career in my adult life after cult life, um, I have said so many times the amount of less than feeling that I have had to work myself through to just say, you know what, you deserve to be here right now. You know enough to be in this room, run with it, you know, and, and it, it's really hard to overcome that when you're so aware that everybody else around you has gone to school. And and I know that it, like I've had some really amazing, beautiful friends at this point in my life that have said, like, look, half of us weren't even paying attention in school. <laughs> so you really didn't miss that much. You know, you probably know what we know. And I'm like, oh, no, I guarantee you I don't. <laughs> mm. And I guarantee you don't know what I know um, from the way that I was brought up because it's pretty horrible stuff. Um, very, very skewed and very bent to a certain direction. And and you're right, though. They want you to stay compliant. They want you to stay in the system. It, it is definitely um, calculated in keeping people compliant and to keep them within the community. Absolutely. And this is the this is the toughest question. This is a, a tall task given, you know, this documentary took four parts and hours to explain, but 
just in a few minutes, the, the cliff note version, which we had to do a lot of reading in, in school. I don't know if you did cliff notes, but um, <laughs> the cliff notes version, what is what is IBLP? Uh, and then also, I'm really bad with acronyms. You you have another one too. Get, what's ATI. The right, yeah. yeah, IBLP and ATI. So first, IBLP, first tell them what the words are and then- Yes, <laughs> exactly. And then we can explain. Right. IBLP stands for the Institute in Basic Life Principles. And Bill Gothard is the creator of this Christian ministry. That's how it started out. It was a prison ministry. It was a ministry to youth. I think it actually started out as a as a youth ministry. And then he moved into prisons and then he moved into more stuff with youth. It actually started out as the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. And then like that was around the 60s and 70s. And then when he got into the 70s, he switched it over to the Institute in Basic Life Principles. He was expanding. <laughs> and so it was that was I think a top um that was a title that could reach beyond just youth. You know, he's like, I'm going to reach everybody. So he, he was, I always, I always liken him to, especially people aren't aware of Bill Gothard at all. I liken him a little bit to like a mini little tiny baby Billy Graham, you know, almost everybody knows who Billy Graham was and he was filling stadiums around the country and would give these huge evangelical, you know, speak preachings and things like that. Bill Gothard was doing the same thing, but a week long seminar. And he was filling stadiums around the country and uh, seminar after seminar in every major city. And uh, he would have the basic seminar and the advanced seminar. And I like to liken them to kind of like booster packs for your Christian faith. Um, so if you are already a Christian in your, you know, Baptist church or fundamentalist church or whatever, and you're like, you know what, I just feel like I need more. You know, he's like the Tony Robbins, <laughs> the Tony Robbins of, of getting better with your faith. And uh, so he created these programs and people were just like coming in droves. And this is back when like the internet was not really a thing. We didn't have social media at all. We did not have cell phones. So these people would go back into their churches and they would pass the information on to all of their friends and all of their relatives and kind of MLME, if you will, you know, like, oh, you've got to hear this. You've got to come to this. And, you know, then more people would come next season and they would all come with their church members and whatnot. So it caught it caught a wave, you know, in that uh, in that way um, <clears throat> in the 80s he got this wonderful idea that he should start a homeschooling program because at this point he's got like 2.5 million people that have attended his seminars. And he's like, you know what, if I have that, this many people, I, I can't, I, I am assuming I will say this at this point, I don't know this for a fact with Bill, but I think that he saw this and was like, you know what, we should start a homeschooling program because we have all of these like really uh, well-informed um, according to him, booster packed Christians with my programs and let's make a, a kids program for them. Let's have an education program so that they no longer have to go out and seek help in the world. They can seek help from us. And again, like tighten up that community. And it's really whatever bill feeds them. And he, I think it was like 102 families that started uh, the very first year that they began this homeschooling program, which is the other acronym ATI. And it stands for the Advanced Training Institute. Pretty simple. <laughs> but the Advanced Training Institute, it um, is a homeschooling program that he created with some of these other like beginning families, first year families is what they called them. And um, a lot of the parents that were involved in this actually helped him create all of the materials. So the wisdom booklets is what they're called. There are 54 of them. And it's a very weird process, but you go through each of these booklets, like one every four to six weeks. 
and it is your core uh education your core information and you can you can supplement it with things like families would get bob jones university and abeka and ace and they would pull in some of these other christian programs to supplement if the family felt that supplementing was necessary i know friends that grew up in ati that had all of these supplemental textbooks and so they got a better foundation of an actual education versus my family where it was like eh, they cherry pick what they thought maybe we needed to resource from a book Four, but it wasn't all encompassing. And then there were some families that had nothing extra. And it would just be these biblically based, very fundamentalist, conservative focused um, indoctrination materials. So as the family, as you would go through this process, you might get through six to eight wisdom booklets in a year. And so, you know, it's many years to get through 54 of them. But if you're in the program long enough, like I was, you will go through to where you cycle. You're like, oh, I've finished. I'm at book 54. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm almost done with the program. Nope. You start over. You go back to Wisdom Booklet 1 and you just keep going through it because now you're like, you know, eight, seven, eight years older. So you're just going to see it with different eyes. It's so, it's so asinine. Like, this is not how you learn. This is how you indoctrinate and condition somebody. Um, So that was my home. That was my homeschooling. And like I said, there were little things that my parents would supplement, but I had a really hard time learning. I had a hard time holding on to concepts because I wasn't given that building block step by step of how to, how to learn. Um, and so I don't know if it will frustrate me until the end of days, but that that's basically the program and it caught fire. I mean, it in, um, 84, 86 by 86 is when my family got involved. Um, so it was in its like second, third year. And by the nineties, there were tens of thousands of families that were involved in this, which is hundreds of thousands of kids. I'm sure at this point, there's so many kids with ATI families. Um, so yeah, there was, and we would have, uh, Uh, yearly seminars that we would go to specifically for homeschool families. And um, if anybody watched 19 Kids and Counting, the Duggar family, which they are promoted um, or they are talked about in Shiny Happy People, um, you see them going to Knoxville to some of these seminars. And it was exciting for most of us kids because it was a time where you actually got to hang out with people that were deemed safe by your parents because they were raised exactly like you and everybody was dressing exactly the same. So there was no weird pressure of like, oh, I'm wearing a long skirt and a long sleeve blouse in the middle of June, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's hot as hell. Um, And you just wish you were in a tank top and shorts like everybody else at the grocery store. Um, But you were with like looking people, like minded people. And it just felt like a, a week long sort of just like reprieve. And you felt excited. And Bill... Bill and his team knew how to make the conference feel so excitable. And they would bring on these really, really energetic speakers. And again, it was just like more indoctrination of fundamentalism and continuing to be really, really narrow in your viewpoints and your faith. And and honestly, it created a judgment of the world too, and a fear of the outside, a fear of the world that like it was all burned into hell and, and everybody meant evil and cruelty towards you. So you had to really, really stay focused with IBLP and ATI materials because they were going to keep you on the straight and narrow and keep you safe. Um, it was, it was a lot. (laughs) It's it's it sounds like it for sure. And I, I always like to ask, too, when I have people on that have been in cults, do you think that it started out because 
cults have slowly get get into some crazy things. You know, if if cult leaders started spewing just a bunch of nonsense, they would have never had any followers. It, it it's mm-hmm. a progression. So I just wonder, do you think that this started out with? And it's hard to really answer the question, probably. But do you think with with Bill Gothard, do you think this started out inherently bad, or do you think it morphed into something that was just really convoluted? I, after I answer that, I do have. I guess one thing that uh, from the from the uh, documentary that it's a teaching that just is a gut punch to me. But I want you to answer that first. I think, again, this is pure speculation because it's not something that I've ever (laughs) had to sit down with him about. But uh, there is a part of me, maybe because I was raised in this from the year like from eight years old, there is a small part of me that thinks that it didn't start this way. I don't think he began his his quote ministry with this idea of i'm going to indoctrinate people and just screw with their minds but i can't profess to know what was in his head you know i i think that especially in the time that he started to peak and he was at uh, wheaton college i think that there there were a lot of other religious people that that were surrounding him that were becoming big stars that were getting known and i think that it, as anyone would you compare yourself to others and i think he just he wanted to have something that was of christian godly purpose his mm-hmm. dad was um involved with the gideon bible um company business. And uh, so I feel like he he saw how his dad was involved also in uh, continuing to push Christianity into the world and be a light to the world. So I think that he probably was similar. Like, I want to have this outreach. I think his his um, his teachings have always been a bit on the radical side. Um, even from the very beginning, that the, these basic life principles that he decided to, uh, you know, pull out of thin air, but also he's fully saying it's backed by scripture. They're man discovered, you know, it's something that he decided that this is just how people should live. And he very quickly, though, I think began to, you know, drink his own Kool-Aid. I think that he really began to believe what he was saying and forced that to be the way. And he's a very smooth talker you know he he would be an excellent salesman he was an excellent salesman for his own ministry because he knows how to use words and he's very i think very cunning in how he speaks to people he makes you feel special he makes you feel seen he makes eye contact um he has a very gentle voice actually with kind of like this strange lilty cadence to it um i know it because i was around it for a while when I worked at headquarters. But I, I think that he was just able to really market himself well. And he began to promise people, this is your ticket to success. He he truly, I think he truly believed it. Um, and even if he at least believed it enough that everyone else would believe it, and he began to see how easy it was to like to say this stuff and people would believe him. Um, so I don't know. I don't know along the journey. Couldn't profess to know at all. But it does feel like at some point he. I feel like if you're creating a movement like this, and you have a belief system that you're kind of helping believers to again booster pack their faith, I feel like at some point you have to have your ear to the ground as to whether or not this is actually working for people or if it's harming people. And in the 70s, there were th- 60s and 70s things were starting to come out within his ministry of people not acting and behaving the way that they should. And instead of actually dealing with it, they kind of just like, again, sort of swept it under the rug a little bit. 
you know, and put the onus on other people instead of the bad doers. And that to me just says you're not really caring about the actual effect that your ministry is having. Now, maybe there's a lot of money coming in. You have a little more notoriety. You have, um, you know, impact now. People know your name and you're just like, well, that would be embarrassing. But let's hide that because also who doesn't love money? you know, and, and power. And I think with, with that comes a lot of intoxication of your own pride. So it, it's hard to know. I feel like the more that I've uncovered too, I look back and I'm just like, wow, I'm really like freaked out at probably how long he'd been drinking his own Kool-Aid by the time I showed up, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think the easy way to kind of see just how persuasive that, that he was, um, because there is the fact that, you know, there's a lot of leaders in history, some of the most, you know, notorious ones didn't, weren't, weren't at all like who they were, you know, professing is, is important, you know, in, in his ministry, it was important to, you know, have traditional marriage and to have a lot of kids when, mm-hmm. if, if I am not mistaken, he was not married and had no children himself. Correct. Correct. Which is sure. just shows the salesman that he was, he's professing this is important, but he didn't actually do any of that himself. So I thought that was, that was pretty big. Um, the thing that I want to point out too, because, you know, we're kind of just talking at a, at a very basic level and it may be hard for some listeners just to, I guess, grasp yet what, what the bad parts were. Obviously the indoctrination is bad, but I want to bring up one thing from the documentary that was a kind of a gut punch to me. And that was, and let me know whether this is, was truly, I guess, a teaching or just something the documentary kind of threw in there where it was telling girls if they were, you know, sexually abused, that it was actually almost a a gift from God because God knew that you could handle something like that. That is the craziest, saddest thing I've ever heard. I talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's probably one of the things that infuriates me to this day and will until I die. Um it is it's very insidious that the ownership of any type of uh, sexual abuse would be the onus of just one person. And that is absolutely how Bill saw it. That, it, you know, I'm, sh- <laughs> I feel like, I don't know whatever went through this man's mind. Um, I think the more that we start to uncover, we realize like a lot of things were going through his mind of trying to just uh, make everyone else feel super guilty so that he could continue doing his misdeeds. Um, But to, to put the onus on children, on teenagers, on wives that we somehow are either to blame because we weren't joyfully available at all times, which is one of his teachings. There's there's, this is multifaceted and I'll try to keep it clear. But um, one, one of the angles where abuse happens is between the husband and wife, where Bill says that according to scripture from Bill's perspective, women, wives must always be joyfully available sexually for their husband. All times, no matter your uh, your emotions, your feelings of the day, how you're feeling physically, if you're awake, what, whatever it is, doesn't matter, joyfully available. So if you're not willing to do that, what happens to you? And it depends on the kind of man you marry. Not, I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that like all men in IBLP and ATI belief are cruel men. But if you are, if you have that type of proclivity, it will come out. And so marital rape is a thing. It is a thing. And I don't care how many people want to try to fight me on it. It happens. 
especially in these high control situations. And if you're someone like myself, where I was raised to always with this understanding that when I get married, I will be joyfully available, even though I don't understand what sex is at all, because purity culture keeps me from knowing anything about um, an intimate relationship. I just know that when I get married, I need to be happy at all times, no matter what. Shiny, happy people. <laughs> um, so there, that's one aspect where the abuse can happen. But if that wife were to go to Bill and say, my husband is raping me, my husband is 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 taking advantage of me, da-da-da, well, this is a wonderful opportunity for the Lord to bless you. He has said this to people, to girls that have come to him and said that my father or my uncle or someone in the church is uh, sexually uh, molesting me or you know putting themselves on me. He would literally send them back to their homes, to their churches, and tell them that they need to cry out to God because God will give them further blessings in their life that they can't even perceive at this point. They would he would send women back into abusive situations to continue to be abused. I do I will forever not be able to understand that. But when we know about his behaviors, it kind of makes sense that he's protecting predators. Um there also is the aspect of young children um crying out to God is a very big uh, pinnacle of one of Bill Gothard's uh, beliefs. And if something bad is happening to you, then you need to physically cry out. If you don't, and this is again, according to scripture, if you don't physically cry out to God, like, dear God, this is happening, or God, please stop this from happening while bad deeds are happening to you. If you don't cry out, you are considered complicit in those actions. What I know now from therapy is that a lot of people freeze. They freeze in those experiences. Their mind shuts down. They disassociate. There's no physical crying out. There is shock. So Bill's saying you have to fight through through that to somehow yell to God, and then you're going to you know, be saved from whatever the bad thing is happening. We know that's not true. It doesn't matter how many times a woman screams out. If somebody is willing to attack them in certain ways, that's really hard to get out of. So this teaching, he actually has, it's so horrific. He has an, uh, a description. It's like a two-pager about like uh, sexual abuse. And it's regarding a young boy at like the age of six or something that is assaulted by another boy who's like older than he is. And Bill has like a 10-point list of how this young little boy will receive blessings from God because of this assault. He's six. What we should be doing is removing the person that assaulted him and getting this kid some help. And instead, Bill's like, well, look at how God's going to help him and glorify him and bless him. Um, Heather Heath, who is in the documentary, wrote a book called Lovingly Abused. And I grew up with these these teachings, same as she did. And I I never I never had this moment where I thought to myself, like, well, if this is happening to me, this could be beneficial. I just I'm I'm just a really hot-headed girl. Like I would I would be fighting and poking poking eyes out. Like I would just be scratching this person up. Um, I don't think freeze would happen for me. But in reading her book, she actually her viewpoint gut punched me because she true she felt this way like what you just explained that she actually hoped that the lord would allow her to have this negative experience so that she could have more blessings from god 
That's the, like when you're young and you're receiving this information, that's what her her sweet little precious mind took in that I she she so desperately wanted God's blessings in her life that she would welcome this level of negative experience in her life. And and I'm just like how many people thought that way? You know, that like it's and this is where I come back to where we were talking about Bill and like his responsibility as a leader. Is he going out and making sure that people understand what he's saying? That we shouldn't look for this, that we shouldn't hope that we are hurt and harmed so that God can bless us further. But there is a very big, um, there's a, a martyr complex in Christianity. Um, we're seeing it, especially right now with Christian nationalism, where they they thrive on persecution. They thrive on people not liking them because that's, again, another like qualifier that if if we are not accepted, we have we have reached the status of being a peculiar and strange people for God, which is a badge of honor because it means they're living this perfect, pure life that people just can't understand. It's so messed up. It is mentally, it's just, it's twisted up in what really should be happening within the Christian faith. Um, so yeah, this, this abuse is, it's systemic it's consistent. Uh, you saw it with Josh Duggar as well. I mean, they sent him away to uh, two different opportunities within Bill's ministry when his uh, misdeeds were found out, and um, it didn't help. He dug holes and memorized scripture. We know with therapy that that's not how you change somebody. That's not how you heal. You have to get to root causes. And with Bill's system, root causes really just comes back to his seven non-optional principles. It's disheartening. It's, it's yeah, that, that's awful. There's, there's really no words, words for all of that, that because that's just, I mean, it's, that's unfathomable, really. And I, I, I want to ask you just talk about, you know, we, we talked about Bill Gothard and you, you've got a little bit more experience than just the uh I, I guess just those big those big seminars talk a little bit about your experiences with him because i think that you were you were relatively close to him at one time i i was i um he i went to one of the seminars and um i was teaching their children's like breakout sessions for kids while the parents were in the seminars and happened to be staying at a hotel didn't know he was staying at the same hotel um, so it was very happen chance. And uh, I'm in the breakfast room. He comes into the breakfast room. Every, all of us young students are like, oh, wow, Bill Gothard's here. Oh, you know, you get to see him in person and in a like this like more private situation. And wow. But um, he came into the room. He was getting breakfast, but he locked eyes with me at one point. And of course, we're all looking at him. But um, he locked eyes with me. And the rest of uh, the rest of the morning, he was as he sat there, he just was like, like just locked on me. He wasn't really like enjoying the room and looking around at other people. He was just, he just was at me. And I was like, wow, this feels really weird. Do I have something on my face or whatever? And then I kind of morphed into, does he see God in me? Like at this point, I wasn't really sure about God. He wasn't really seeming to like change things at home. It didn't matter how much I prayed or the things that I was doing that should make me more successful and better in my environment. Um, so I was like, well, maybe he sees God. Maybe he's, you know, you had this this idea that he could just sniff out godliness. Now I know he sniffs out prey. Um, so he actually got up and he came over to my table and he asked what my name was and if I would like to meet him after the seminar. I think we went over to his office at one point during the day, but then later on that evening after the seminar, um, I, 
I was brought to him and we went in his little van over to his office and he he took me into his office at one point and he started asking me a lot of questions, um, which which to me just seemed normal, you know, like, oh, how long have you been in ATI? How old are you? What's your birth order? What's your spiritual gift? You know, all of these qualifiers that we all use to kind of like assimilate with each other within the community of this cult. And um, and then he was like, well, are you in courtship with anybody? And that's a, a tether to purity culture. And I was like, well, no, but there's a guy back home that, you know, he's he's wanting to court me, but he's like 33, 34 or five years old. I'm like 18 at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Bill's like, oh, well, we can't that you're going to need to release him. And I'm like, I he's the one looking for me. I'm not I'm not trying to, to marry him. And he was like, but you need to emotionally release this man. And then he's like, and are you a virgin? And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> Like, no one used that word with me. I think maybe my mother used it one time, my father maybe once, but like, that's just like a no-no word. You don't talk about that. You're, we're, we're pure people. Um, And there was a male assistant in the room too. So I felt like really just, I got so hot even now remembering him saying it. I'm just like, oh, you know, why would you ask somebody that? What does that matter? Um, with us just having a conversation. And I, so I can't I can't profess to know what my face looked like. I don't know if I read shock or like um, oh, or offense, you know, like, oh, of course I am. Um, but it just I remember the feelings of like uh, feeling so arrested and like, why would he ask that? And um, I found out much later that this was something he asked a lot of the girls that he would interview um, to potentially come to headquarters, which is where I, he would bring a lot of us Gothard girls up to headquarters and we kind of ended up getting tagged with this this um label that we were gothard girls and um or gothard's favorites i was always called a favorite at the time that i was there but um and even when i so he ended up bringing me up to headquarters and um i fast tracked it basically because there's there's kind of like a barrier to entry to getting to headquarters you have to be kind of the the ultimate um with these homeschool students you have to have gone through a bunch of different programs and finished a lot of different like journal booklets that that bill just deems i need you to do these things before you're you can be like a bulwark in my my ministry um and instead here i am like teaching kids and the next thing i know whoop i'm up at headquarters and I, again, talk about impostering syndrome and feeling less than even there, I felt less than I was like, I know that I just fast tracked myself here. And but I didn't do this. This is his doing. And he would even tell me he's like, be careful with what you say to the other young ladies while you're here and our times together, because they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand the relationship that we have. And I help a lot of girls and, you know, a lot of pe- young people, he would say. Um, and so he's like, you know, just just be careful because they might not understand. And I thought, oh, my gosh, people are jealous here. Like, that just seems so out of body to me. Like, why would you be jealous if he's like this spiritual leader? And I had a lot of trouble back at home. It was a very troublesome home. And he just he dug into that. He loved that I didn't know my birth father. He immediately was like, oh, you're considered a bastard in God's eyes. And, you know, I will be your spiritual father. And I'm just like, wow, like bastard like that just seems a little extreme plus i have a stepdad you know like do i really appreciate how he's treated me of course i don't but he is a father if we're if we're getting technical in the spiritual umbrella system and the authority structure that that bill lines out i have one but he was very big into well i will be your father he loved this idea of being father to the fatherless and i'm like uh, whatever floats your boat man you know at least i'm here and i wasn't at home that was one of my driving driving forces because a lot of people are like why why did you stay 
I stayed because home was far worse to me. And what was going on at headquarters, at least I had a lot of what I perceived as freedom because I wasn't living under the rule of thumb of my dad. I was able to be uh, constructive. I worked in um, the office for the homeschooling department. So I was like assistant to to the, um, I was an assistant to the director that was in the um, the division that I was working in. So I, I really thrived on that. And I, I loved feeling very stimulated with just doing all of this kind of like data entry work and then, you know, finances and whatnot. <laughs> it was exciting. And I'm young. So I'm just like, yeah, bring it on. Let's let's do all this for God. Um, but during during my first six months there, Bill would constantly want to have prayer time with me. And the the first time I will never forget because it was just it was the first time that became many many times three to four times a week uh over four to six months he would have prayer time with me and he would always ask me like hey can you come up to my office and i would and i would bring my bible and my tote bag with my pen and notebook i was just ready to do whatever god needed for me to do with bill and i would just sit there like a little porcelain doll just sit there in his office while he would dictate letters and and all kinds of materials to his assistant who would type away furiously at the computer. And I literally would just sit there. And sometimes Bill would like wink at me and I'm like, did he just wink? Because that is so not godly. That's not, again, according to his teaching, a wink is a defrauding, a promising of something that you can't fulfill type of action. It's flirting. And I'm like, he did not just do that but i'm like no no he did <laughs> so i'm i'm just sitting there in my own mental torture chamber while i'm like being cute cute for bill here at the desk but um very early on in my time there he was like well Lindsay, let's let's have prayer time this evening and he excused his assistant who kind of delayed for a few minutes about like leaving um i do not ever i will never fault this young man because he was raised like i was and i think you're just like well my authority wants me to leave but i respect the fact that he had hesitation but he was in a in a difficult position too. Like, what do I do? You know, I anyway. So I I give him a pass. I always will. But um, Bill was like, oh, come over to the couch and let's pray. So I went to sit down on the couch and he's like, well, let's kneel. I'm like, okay. I don't really like kneeling to pray, but okay. So we get down to kneel and I go to pray and he just with my eyes closed, he grabs my hand in his and he starts rubbing my hand with his thumb. And then he starts pressing the upper part of his body, his shoulder, his elbow. And then it's like all of a sudden his side and he was wearing his jacket and everything. So it was kind of like really reverberating heat off of himself. Like just, he was so close and he just kept pushing himself into me. And I'm like, what is like, I kind of tried to lean away, but I'm like, this is going to get weird. Cause I'm going to be like <laughs> toppled over if I just keep moving away. Cause he kept pushing towards me. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to get rigid and just try to stay upright while he's kind of shoving into me and it, like his hip his thigh his knee all the way down to his foot and then his foot started just like clanking against mine but we were both wearing shoes so it was like it was very awkward to me um and again i haven't really been touched in my life and so this is like really sensory overload and i'm just like i don't understand how this is prayer right now and he's just praying along like i can hear his gentle languid voice you know supplicating with god but i couldn't tell you what he was saying i'm just like why is this happening and um then all of a sudden he leans his head on my shoulder and up against my head and he like nuzzles and then he kind of pushes on me again like he's trying to get my attention and and all, all of a sudden he whispers it's your turn and again this like this naivety and innocence and i'm like my turn to push against him 
Like, is, is that because that's all I could focus on? And then I was like, oh, no, he means pray. He, oh, it's my turn to pray. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I better pray, pray with all the fervor I can and as quickly as I can so that I can just get his hand out of mine and just get away from this. This is so icky. And um, so I did. I don't remember what I prayed. Da, 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 da. And I was like, and amen. And I very quickly like stood up and I walked over to the desk and I grabbed my bag and my Bible shoved everything. And I was like, so I, this was, this was lovely. Praise the Lord. And uh, thank you so much, Mr. Gothard. I, I'm, I'm going to go now. And I just, I just dashed out. That was the first time. And it became the many times. And I just knew that this was happening and I just had to steal myself that this is what he was going to do. And it was like, it was clockwork. It was the same thing over and over and over for months. Um, There's many other girls now that have come forward that, you know, have stories that freak me out because they are just like mine. Um, There's little variations, differences. I think it's maybe it depended on our personality, how far he felt he could push us, you know, the conditioning aspect of it, like what what could he do and for how long? Because he never really went that further with that much further with me. Um, The only other thing that he was really big about was footsie which he would do constantly. Um, I, I, again, I just felt like the, his little like porcelain doll person that he would just be like, Oh, come and come and sit at the front table with this delegation. Oh, there's another delegation. He would, he would grab me at different times and be like, Hey, this afternoon I've got this, this meeting and these people are going to be there and I'd love for you to be there. And so I would just have to like go up to the staff center and sit down in this meeting and he would find a way with his foot to just like rub my foot. Um, and if I tried to move away from it, he, I think I said it one time that it was like Inspector Gadget. It was like he was disconnecting his hip and just like moving his leg as far as possible. And I know it like, I know I laugh about it, but it's just like, I sometimes would think this. I'm like, how you're a short guy. How is your leg this far over? And you still look like you're just sitting like a marionette doll at the table and nothing, no one's going to be the wiser. Um, it was, it was just insane. Um, and this whole time that this is happening, I really thought not out of a, a, a consciousness of like, oh, I'm so special, but I just thought it was the only one that this was happening to. And I just was so scared. I didn't want anybody to see this because I knew that if somebody saw this, it was going to be my fault. Well, you did something to attract him. So it's all the onus is always going to be on the female. If a man in this culture stumbles morally or sexually, it's always going to be us that, you know, we're just like the little little bait over here that we are we're constantly trying to bring people into our wiles. And it's just like I he started it. <laughs> like I literally feel at that point that's what I would have been like. He started it, not me. So yeah, this was this constantly happened. It happened in vans. It happened around other girls. Um, and I found out after the documentary, actually, one of these girls reached out to me and she was like, yeah, I remember in the van sometimes when we would go from Chicago to Indianapolis to one of the training centers there. She's like, he would invite you to take off your shoes. So I would take off my shoes and then he would have his shoes off with his socks on and he would footsie me with his sock. Hmm. And it, I would, when she told me this, like, yeah, I remember when he invited you to take your shoes off. I was like, no. You like people actually saw this this whole time. I'm thinking, oh, I've, you know, I've kind of just hidden this well, or it was dark in the van. (laughs) And like, no, people saw this happening. And yet all of us being women, what could we do about it? And for the young men also, what could they do? 
you know, I, it's it's going to bring shame to their family. They're probably going to get sent home from headquarters or they're going to be gaslit and told like, oh, there's nothing to see here. You didn't. That was in- incorrect. Or maybe also they would get us girls in trouble. So maybe there was an aspect to that where they're like, well, I don't want to get Lindsay in trouble. You know, she isn't doing anything wrong. It's Bill. Um, at the end of the day, I fault the board, the board of directors for never calling this guy into like getting him in line or kicking him out sooner. Because far too many girls were sexually harassed and assaulted by this man. I'm not alone in this story. There, there's so much more we could unpack there. That's just, there's there's a lot there. And I, I, I want to <laughs> give it, I, I don't want to just say something quickly and not give it the respect it deserves. So I want to just wrap up the, I'm going to throw everything in this one last question. The one thing uh, with the documentary that kind of perked my ears up too is, I guess we're, we were a little bit into the heart of it because I am I'm sitting here in Indianapolis, Indiana. So apparently mm. that that was a, a place that uh, had a, a had a big part in uh, IBLP. But I want you now answer these two questions together as much as that, that you want, how you got involved with the documentary and your overall thoughts with it all. And then also something I know that was important for you to talk about, and I don't want to not allow you to do that, is that IBLP is still out there even after the documentary even after all the pushback it's still out there they had an official response after the documentary that you know bill gothard has been out of the organization since 2014 we're not really a church we just help people just like you said booster packs Uh, i like that that's kind of a that's a clever way to say (laughs) it there um so talk about your involvement with documentary and how you thought that went and then also your your message uh with iblp sure the documentary actually came about um, or came across my awareness via Chad Harris, who's also in the documentary, World Domination Chad, as we like to describe him. But he he and I had already been friends via TikTok. I'd been on TikTok for several months already sharing my story. I just I felt like I needed to explore what happened to me. And it felt like time. it was time. It was also during the pandemic. So I was bored out of my gourd. And I was like, let me read my old journals. And I was like, oh, my old journals are um, horror stories. And what the heck? And I hadn't read them in over 23 years. So I was just like, I having that much distance on that kind of trauma. Oh, my God. Like I couldn't, I knew it was bad. And then I read all of my journals and I'm like, oh no, it was really bad. This was as bad as I remember it being, if not worse. Um, And so we're in a couple of different Facebook groups and someone had posted that um, our director, Olivia Christ, had um, reached out to a couple of people about her interest in doing a documentary about the survivors of ATI and IBLP. And so she was doing a few interviews. Chad had talked to her. And then he was like, Lindsay, you really need to talk to her. Like, I think that this would just be like really good, really good. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, Because I was getting comfortable with telling my story. If if TikTok, if I had not gone on TikTok, I don't think I would have involved myself with the documentary. But because I allowed myself to start speaking out and using my voice and trying it on for the first time, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm angry. And I also feel very justified in the damage that has been created through generations of people. And this needs to stop. Um, and so, yeah, I spoke with Olivia and her um, 
her partner over at Chicken Entertainment, Lauren, and we talked for like three hours. And they knew so much about ATI and IBLP. I was floored. I was impressed with how much they knew. And I was like, okay, you guys know what you're talking about. You understand the environment because it's a very difficult environment to understand. Um, and I was very surprised and impressed by that. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm on. I'm on board with this. And uh, that was three years ago <laughs> that we had that first conversation. And then just being able to watch their tenacity to get this, the funding that it needed to get the support that they needed to for it to actually go on Amazon. I am so proud of those two. Olivia has absolutely put her heart and soul into this documentary. And um, I think people forget and they see Amazon and they're like, oh, it's Amazon the beast. And you're just like, yes, it is. And we're very proud of the fact that we were able to get it on such a huge platform. But this all started with Olivia and Lauren. And I always want to put it back to them and those two girls who felt this burning need to allow us to share our stories and what was so wrong with Bill Gothard's systems. So cheers to my two darlings who I'm still very close to. Um uh, the experience was great. Um, I interviewed for five hours. Um, I think I don't even know how long I'm in the documentary, but I was like, wow, did I talk my head off for five hours with them? And um, there's still so much more. But for people that are interested and curious, you can go over to my TikTok because I'm still sharing a lot of my story there um, and and on podcasts like yours. Mm -hmm. um, so then... Um, yeah, so I'm I'm very proud of them. I'm proud of all of the people that I was with as well. All of my fellow docu siblings, as we call each other now. Um, it was it, all of us had to push forward with bravery and courage to share these stories. They don't they don't come out of us easily, um, nor do they come out lightly. You know, this is very heavy information to be talking about, and I think a lot of people got upset at things or they felt a little bit um, like the documentary was attacking people of faith or attacking homeschoolers. I can understand where people might have walked away with that perception. But again, like I said in the very beginning, if you are feeling uncomfortable about something, you yourself should be digging a little further as to why that is uncomfortable and not sit in a seat of defense. If you're in defense and denial and that's the way you come to the table, then yes, almost anything can be offensive to you. So it is not a hit piece on homeschoolers. I know a lot of people that homeschool and those kids are freaking brilliant children because the parents actually care about the academic education that their children receive. Also with the pandemic, also with gun violence that's going on, I respect parents taking on the task of bringing their kids into the home and bullying. It's just, it is heartbreaking what's going on in our public school systems. Um, so I respect parents that choose to homeschool their children, but I will always put the caveat of, you had better not be harming them in your home. And I will always um, advocate for oversight of any person homeschooling. And again, if you're afraid of the government coming into your home, you need to look deep inside yourself because I think that there you have something to hide and that should not be your first your first feeling is defense and denial. Um so again, I don't think it's a hit piece on homeschooling. If I did, I wouldn't have been involved in it because I do respect that there is a place for homeschooling. And as far as Christianity, um I will profess that I am now an atheist. And it, that, it, yes, it is a byproduct of how I was raised and how I was abused and harmed in a very fundamentalist religious system. However, I have done more questioning of my faith than probably most people will ever question of their faith in their lifetime. Mm. 
And again, if people think that it's a hit piece against Christians, they need to look deep inside themselves because maybe their behaviors are not as Christ-like as they like to think that they are. Um, it's a hard topic. It's a hard, it's a hard sell. <laughs> but I I stand by the documentary and I'm very, very proud of it. And I, if if anything, the the thing that I'm most sad about is we didn't have more episodes, that we weren't given more time. Because a, a thing like this, as we're finding in one hour of conversation, you there's so much to dive into. And I feel like with the four episodes, they did everything they could to put as much as they could in because that's all they were afforded by Amazon. So mad respect to the producers and directors for pulling together such a concise collective narrative of all of our journeys. And here's to fingers crossed, hoping that there's more. If you guys are interested, please reach out to Amazon. You can do that. Go to their social medias, send them messages. They read their messages because the whole point of them making them making money is you being satisfied with what they show. And they want to know what what the public is interested in. So please hit them up if that if you want to see more of shiny happy people because i know i do there is a lot more to all of our stories not just mine um and there's a lot more to know about iblp itself so i'm going to caveat into your other or like uh segue into your other question that the the fire that still burns in me regarding iblp like yes bill gothard is out he's no longer a part of the iblp ministry that he started which has got to be a solid burn um against him however his legacy still exists and IBLP is still functioning. Their homeschooling pro program, the Advanced Training Institute, did get shut down. I think it was preemptive to the documentary coming out because they were aware that the documentary was being made. And it very conveniently just kind of ended. <laughs> so we're like, hmm, that's interesting. But they are still selling 14 of the wisdom booklets on their website, even though it's not a homeschooling program, you don't have homeschool support anymore. Um, they still sell the wisdom booklets, but they've shifted the narrative, which is not surprising to any of us, that they're now just uh, Bible study materials. So if you would like to, to get my um, education materials, if you would like to see what I was learning as a child as my ABCs and 123s, you can now take it into a Bible study and you can praise God with mm. them. And it's a pretty big slap in the face to what I think we've always known, like validating, but also a slap that we always knew it was insufficient. You don't, you do not go and get a, a 10th grade science book and go have a Bible study from it. But if you have indoctrinating materials, you can go have a Bible study off of that because you know what? That's all it is, is Bill Gothard and all of his lackeys. It is their interpretation of the scriptures. That was my education. So IBLP still exists. The board consists of Tim Levandusky, John Bechtel, um, Gil Bates, and David York. They are the four men that are the head of IBLP. They are still having seminars. They are still having camps. Alert still exists. Um, again, like I said, the homeschooling isn't there, but people that were homeschooling in it are still homeschooling their kids. Like they're hook, line and sinker. They have all the materials. Um, there's just no support anymore. So I will not fully have a great night's rest until I know that IBLP no longer functions in any capacity. So be aware of it. The way that they are existing now, though, is by rebranding. So they do have iblp.org, I believe is the website. 
but they've rebranded into Embassy Media, um, Home Discipleship Network. They have Commands of Christ as a podcast that they have. Um, be weary, be be wary, because that is that is still all of Bill Gothard's indoctrinating materials. They're not deviating from it, which I thought like, oh, maybe they would. He's out. Some of this seems a little suspicious. Maybe maybe we should, you know, kind of tame it down a little bit. No, it's the same materials. I tortured myself by watching. They they um, will air live some of their conferences. I tortured myself by watching one of their week-long conferences, just tuning in um, while I was, I'm in renovations with my house. So I'm like, I have all the time in the world while I'm hammering at walls as I get <laughs> more increasingly upset at the fact that this is all still going on. Hammerings get harder and harder. Yes! Uh, <laughs> destroy the walls. Um, I was literally deconstructing. <laughs> Um, but hearing actually how much worse the rhetoric has gotten, they haven't tamed it down. They've upped the ante mm -hmm. and, um, Gil Bates specifically is just a real piece of work in the way that he sees Christianity, patriarchy. Um, it, it's, it's very scary. And I think that we all need to be very aware of these types of people that are truly the wolves in, in the, to me, they're not even wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. If we want to go with like a more of like a scriptural kind of reference, but it, they're just wolves now. Like a lot of these pastors and preachers and, and Christian leaders are not afraid to be nasty and mean and cruel from the pulpit, from their conventions. They are just all out unbridled. And with no fear, because where where's the retribution or the retaliation? There is nothing. There's no ownership or responsibility that's being put on them at all. They keep consistently getting away with their bad behavior. Hmm. So I'm glad the homeschooling program is gone, but they are still pushing forth their narrative. So be aware. <laughs> be be aware. And, and like you said, we could we could talk for another hour, no problem. So what if people want to hear more from you, you've shouted out a few times. How can people uh, follow along with, with Lindsay Williams? You can follow me over at TikTok and Instagram. My handle is the Cult Chronicles. Yeah. Um, and if you want to see my makeup work, because that's what I do for my real life, you can Certainly. follow me at Crazy Pretty on Instagram. I love it. Those both would be in the show notes. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jackson. This was really amazing. You were you were very, very prepared as well, and I really, really appreciate it. So that was Lindsay Williams. Really, really appreciate her coming on and sharing her story. You know, this is a, a powerful story, but it's not an easy one to share, I'm sure. You know, this is some of the worst things that ever happened in her life, uh, but she shares it because she wants to make sure that it doesn't happen to other people. She, she goes on podcasts. She was in this documentary, uh, she she does the things she does with with her cult chronicles um, because she realizes, hey, this is this is still happening to people, and you know whether you're conservative, liberal, Christian, atheist, any anything like that, we can see that wrong is wrong, and organizations that build themselves as as anything other than um, what they are uh, it should be stopped. And, and I think that uh, there's a lot of organizations out there um, that hide behind different labels that, uh, you know, are, are, are really uh, abusive. And, and I think that uh, through Lindsay's story, we, we found that IBLP might be one of those organizations. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed uh, this conversation. 
you know, this is such a, a huge topic and, and one that's so relevant right now that, as I mentioned in the beginning, I have already talked to another person from that documentary, from IBLP, uh, who has a story uh, just as powerful as, as Lindsay's, who dealt with some, some truly horrific things. She was, was somebody who uh, was a, a victim of, of Bill Gothard as well, and, and somebody who um, heard you know, Bill Gothard's teachings firsthand about uh, your sexual abuse and, and being proud and, and feel like God is, uh, is rewarding you because of those things. And we're going to talk about the impact that that has had on her life. So I don't want you to miss that one. Uh, but I do want you uh, to follow along with, with Lindsay and all the amazing things that she is doing. Uh, the links to her information will be in the show notes. And um, I know that uh, her, her Cult Chronicles uh, mission is, uh, is a powerful one, and I, I hope that you'll, you'll follow along with her uh, with that. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, really appreciate you being here. So many amazing guests in the past, so urge you to check those out. I urge you to check out future guests. In a few weeks, uh, there'll be another person from IBLP featured, so uh, if nothing else, come back in a few weeks for that, but uh, hope you'll check out the over 150 other guests that I've already had. Really, really uh, proud of uh, proud of that lineup. Uh, go follow on Instagram and uh, on Facebook, Not Enough Podcast on Instagram, Not Enough with Jackson F on Facebook. That'll help you see when those new episodes come out. If you like this podcast, give it a five-star rating on Apple and on Spotify. Leave a written review on Apple. Really appreciate that. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Lindsay, for being here. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.